Hello, and welcome to the Road Not Taken podcast. Uh, This is our first episode of the new year, and some would say the decade, depending on whether you count the decade starting in the year uh, of the zero rather than year of the one, uh, which in and of itself is a hotly debated topic. Um, But regardless, this is our first podcast of at least the new year. Uh, So we will be talking about the Middle Eastern situation, given that we haven't had a podcast in, I believe, about a month. Uh, And there's been a lot going on uh, with what the U.S. has been doing there. Uh, So we decided to give you guys a brief history of the Middle East slash U.S. intervention and then apply that to the Soleimani killings and the current tensions in the region. Uh, And then we'll also spend some time talking about our favorite events of the 2010s. Uh, So we have co-host Benjamin Rustano back with us. Ben, if you have anything you want to say to our devoted listeners, uh, now's the time. I just want to say something back to the beginning of the decade. I, you know, it says we're in 2020, but historically calendars have never been accurate. So I don't really believe it. All right. That's all I have. Uh, Hot take. Breaking the count. The calendar system is fake news. Um, Is there nothing we can trust? All right. So uh, I figure, I guess just if you guys haven't heard, uh, honestly, I don't know where you've been, um, but the U S executed a, a strike against a, uh, an Iranian general and military leader, who some would call a terrorist as well, uh, General, I believe it's Qasem Soleimani. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, and the immediate chain of events leading up to that were pretty simple. Basically, um, some sort of forces that may or may not have been acting from uh, with the blessing of Iran launched an attack on a coalition base um, and when they attacked this base, they killed a U.S. contractor. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that this person's a contractor in the sense that they you know, go build things like we think of it in the U.S. Uh, it basically means a mercenary, someone who is getting paid to go out and you know, be, be like you know, an armed force. Uh, so this guy was basically a soldier for hire. Um, he was killed in this attack on the coalition base uh, in response to this killing of a U.S. citizen. Um, the U.S., I believe killed 25 Iranians in an air raid. Uh, And then the Iranian people protested that um, by basically, some would say attacking our embassy. It was was somewhere between a protest and an attack on the U.S. embassy in uh, Baghdad, I believe. Um, I could be blanking out on the the specific location of that embassy. Uh, But there were some pretty widespread protests getting coverage. There was some unrest. Uh, the U.S. treated it as an attack on the embassy, and then in response, uh, ordered the the killing of this general, um, who they uh, said a drone strike. By the way, yeah, drone strikes, um, and I believe that the they had said that he had planned the attack on the embassy, and that he was planning more attacks in the immediate future. Uh, so there's been a lot of debate going back and forth about this uh, for a couple nights, uh, myself included, and I think Ben as well. We're pretty sure we were about to go to war with Iran. Um, that hasn't happened yet. There's still a chance. Um, but it seems like things have at least cooled down a little bit. Um, so, Ben, any thoughts on that immediate situation? Uh, we'll go into the history of the region and you know exactly why tensions are where they are in a minute. Um, but any thoughts on that right off, the, right off the bat? Well, I think it's important to understand who Soleimani is before you delve into the whole situation of him being killed. A lot of people didn't really know who he was and what he did. And he was involved in a lot of conflicts that the U.S. has been involved with. He, um, I believe 
he helped bolster um, Assad in a I um, yeah in Syria. Well, we'll we'll get to that in a sec. Like seven or eight years. Ago. Yeah, he was he's he helped Assad, and I believe he was also helping fight ISIS, which is linked to that because ISIS was born out of a movement that came because it was you know fighting against Assad. Yeah, yeah, he fought he fought ISIS in Iraq and Syria, I believe. Yeah. Well, let's just. And, and well, I think that's yeah. I think it's important to understand that because when the United States, you go on, you go on the news and, and they're talking about some terrible person and then you do some research on that person, you realize just a few years before they were helping us and that we were funding them. And then all of a sudden we turn on them and say that they, that they're this horrible person, that they're, they're this terrorist. I'm not saying anything about Soleimani himself. I'm saying in the past what we've done uh, as a country. Yeah, and I think that's true. We'll get to that actually in in a minute. It's it's a really confusing topic, the Middle East, and I think that anybody who says that they know exactly what's going on uh, is lying to you. Because um, I, I really, even the smartest people, really can't figure out what's going on. But I, I we'd at least at least like to give our take on this. Um, so we'll take a stab at it. Definitely go research this. There's a lot of information out there. There are some good resources. I'll plug them at the end of the show. It's pretty easy to look up a timeline of U.S. intervention in the Middle East, uh, and that'll at least give you the bare bones. Uh, it, you know, it won't give you too much spin on what's going on, but it'll at least tell you, you know, where the U.S. has been, what they've been doing in that region. Uh, so actually, I I think we should probably start with the Middle East back in, I would say, like right towards the end of World War II. Um, because before that we really hadn't been doing a lot in the Middle East. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I guess think you... it all began around the time of the Korean war, the time that we were involved in the Korean war. Right. And, and if we're being honest, a lot of the, our Middle Eastern, like it, it was born out of the fact that we were engaged in the cold war with Russia. Um, so obviously as everybody knows, after world war two, uh, the U S and Russia were the two world superpowers. Um, but you know, as you know, this is basic history, the proxy wars, um, and that, you know, there, there would be intervention in different parts of the world, uh, where the U S and Russia would send in a few troops or they'd fund forces, but they wouldn't actually directly go to war with each other. Um, so that actually happened for a little bit. Anything you want to say in the Korean war, Ben? Well, I would, I don't really have much to say about the Korean war, but shortly after world war two in 1947, um, this is important to the history of the Middle East. I, it didn't Israel declare? They declared uh, that they were separate from Palestine. I believe. Yeah, there were. Yeah, there was. They had a civil war shortly after after they declared uh, liberation, and there then they had. They I think they had like a to, a short time of peace, and then they got into the Six Day War, and. Uh, what what was it? The Yom Kippur War. Yes, uh, that was the one. I forget if if they, that was what it was called or if it was like the two week war or something. But it, yeah, it was when they attacked on a holy day. Yeah, on Yom Kippur, and then uh, anyway, it, let's just put it bluntly: Israel's had no problem repelling attacks on their their nation. Uh, they've been doing real well for quite a while, and that um, would probably have something to do with the fact that we've aided them in the past and the present. So. Oh, that's true. Well, that, that, I mean, their, their tech is like, it rivals the world leaders. I don't know that I would say it's as like good as the U S is, but it, it, the, the stuff like the gadgets and the, the defense systems and the cybersecurity that Israel has 
is far better than any other country mm-hmm. in that region. And yeah, that is partially due to U.S. funding. It's partially just due to the fact that you know, like that's like Israel is just good at finding a way to to keep going. But yeah, so basically, the Korean War happened uh, in the 1950s, and that was you know an outbreak. Uh, that was a spreading of the tensions between the U.S. and Russia during the Cold War. And then we got to Vietnam, uh, which is similar, where, again, it was a U.S. versus Russia, sort of communist versus, uh, you know, the capitalist slash free world. And then we get to, uh, what was the year that we overthrew? 1979. That, that, I think that was it. So why don't you take it away and tell us what happened right there? Well, I, th- I think you're referring to the Iranian Revolution. I am. Uh, I mean, there's so much there. It, well, the whole the whole country of Iran was put through a, a revolution, and the, then uh, a new uh, Ayatollah got put in. Ayatollah Khomeini, if I'm recalling correctly. You are correct. Yes. And I believe. Well, how that's about a, this? How about no? You know what? We I th- we, we we actually we can't start at 1979. I'm sorry. Because that that would actually be a little bit incomplete. Uh, We have to start in 1946. So in 1945, the Soviet Union established the Azerbaijan People's Government in Iranian Azerbaijan. Um, And there was a lot of tension there. Basically, the Soviets were trying to be in Iran. The Iranians weren't that thrilled about it. There were British troops in there. Um, But essentially, after 1946... Uh, Iran was autonomous. It was independent. There were no governments, at least formally, uh, influencing Iran. But in 1953, the leader of Iran, who was Mohammad Mossadegh, was overthrown by British and American intelligence services. So this is where the bad blood starts. Uh, in 1953, in August, um, I'm not sure if he would call it the CIA exactly, but basically the CIA, and then the British version of the CIA uh, engineered a coup and overthrew the Iranian leader. Um, and then basically at that point, they returned the Shah, uh, you know, the position of the Shah of Iran to power uh, and a prime minister. And it was basically a government that was seemingly autonomous, but it was, I, I'm not sure I'd call it a puppet government, but it was basically the the U.S. and British intelligence forces had a coup started, overthrew the leader because they didn't like him. They didn't think that he would be helpful to their interests, installed somebody who would be more beneficial to their interests, or so they thought, and then allowed Iran to continue under that. So the first real instance of aggression in the Middle East is U.S. and British interference uh, with their with their government, essentially. And then we get to 1979, which is where I... Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would characterize this, Ben, as the Iranian people revolting against that U.S.-backed government and overthrowing them. Is that how you'd, you'd characterize it? Yeah, they they overthrew the imperial <clears throat> state of Iran. Correct. And chose to institute a, theocra- like a theocratic republic. Right, which is why – would- well, we'll get to yeah, that, that in a second. Be- it was telling that when – uh, most U.S. government officials nowadays, including actually Trump in his speech right after Soleimani was killed, when they start talking about the Middle East, they start with 1979. That that's because that is because of the 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 hostage crisis, and that's basically when our that's when 
the public was aware of our our involvement. That that's the first time the the general world populace became aware of the United States involvement in the Middle East. I, not the Middle East per se, but the, right. the Iran specifically. Right, right. And I'll let you talk about the hostage crisis in a minute. But it is it is important to note that history did not start in 1979 in that region because the Russians had pulled out of Iran. Iran was kind of doing on, fine on its own. They were not showing any hostility towards the U.S. Um, now, you know, obviously it wasn't like in the 1940s they really could have done anything because, you know, we didn't have like – they didn't have missiles or the tech that we have now. But suffice it to say, it wasn't like we were being attacked on the daily by terrorists. Um, but it is important that this this revolt was not just, you know, radical Iranians that want to like destroy the West, overthrowing their government so they can come get the Americans. It was It was specifically religious Iranians. Right. It was a response. It was a response to the the hatred of the U.S. backed and installed government. So it would be like if uh, President Trump was uh, assassinated or overthrown in a coup, right, backed by Russia and China, and then the Russians and Chinese installed someone who would be friendly to their interests, uh, who honestly would probably, if we're gonna, you know, take a, an opinion, it would probably be someone just like Trump. But anyway, um. Uh, if you believe the Democrats, uh, the Democrats' talking points, but let's just say that the that the the Russians and the Chinese uh, intelligence services overthrew Donald Trump secretively, staged a coup, and then someone who was basically a, a mouthpiece for the Russians and the Chinese was our president, and then that the U.S. wasn't doing really well from you know for about a twenty year period. You can imagine that there would be a lot of popular resentment. Uh, with that government, and there might even be, you know, an overthrow if you mm-hmm. see that as uh, Russia and China interfering with the sovereign United States. So that's basically what we did to Iran. So imagine then if all the Christians in the country got <laughs> mad, overthrew the government, and then made yeah, Mike Pence yeah. the president. Yes, that is. That's basically that. That would be our version of what happened, right? So you wouldn't. And then imagine if. Russia and China, 50 years later, just decided to conveniently not mention that they did any of that and say, wow, you know, everything was just going real great until these like evangelicals installed Mike Pence. I don't know why they did that. You'd say, well, you're not really telling the whole story here. And there's a really important piece that you're but, missing. Yes. Out. And I think it's it's important to see that see, that example, that analogy that you just provided shows how complicated it is. And it shows like that it's hard to understand who really are the quote unquote good guys in the situation because right, right. It, it's so complex and it's not just simple. <clears throat> oh, these are the bad guys that started a revolution and then we're the good guys and we're, you know, being held captive that I mean, that's, that's what it feels like when you're just in the present moment and you're reading the news. It's like, Oh, they're horrible people. And, and you don't really put yourself in their shoes. Exactly. So just also, you know, bear, bear in mind, right, when if any country, a lot of countries do things that the U.S. would declare as bad, right? The Jap- Let's just say, right, the Japanese, they did Pearl Harbor in World War II. The Japanese people, the random Japanese citizen probably didn't have a great idea of what was going on, right? So think of how the Japanese people would have viewed the events of World War II. 
would they have been like, oh, wow, we like our government just attacked unprovoked, you know, the U.S. people like that was wrong. They wouldn't have they thought that. They would have propaganda thought, to tell them. Right. They would have thought yeah. that the U.S. was expanding into the Pacific and we were actually launching a preemptive war to prevent them from coming and attacking us. Right. And I'm not saying it's the same thing, but there is something to the idea that countries, you know, the people in those countries might not have the best uh, understanding and the grasp of what's going on around the globe. They don't get the whole picture. So that's why a part of the reason we're having this podcast is to help our American listeners understand how these things look from a global perspective. Uh, and believe me, you, we are not some you know bleeding heart liberals who are about to just say that the US is always the bad guy in this conflict. Uh, but there is a middle ground there where you understand that although a lot of bad things have been done by both sides since then, uh, there is definitely U.S. culpability in this region. Um, all right, so you you want to talk about the hostage crisis, nineteen seventy nine? I mean, we could. I don't know how how important you think that is to the present situation with Soleimani. Well, I guess it, it's important in as much as, like you said, it just it's what the public knows about, right? Because everybody knows about the hostage crisis, and you know, like when you think of the Middle East, you think like Jimmy Carter hostage situation. Like that kind of thing, uh, but I, you know, I, you're right. It's probably not that important. Well, I mean, but just let's, a quick synopsis of it was just basically yeah. that a a religious group that was supportive of the Iranian Revolution took over the U.S. embassy in Iran in Tehran mm-hmm. and held, I think it was 52 <clears throat> Americans hostage for 444 days, and that's they did. Yes, haven't there been mo- there have been movies about this and documentaries? Like this is you know this is yes. This Probably is pretty well-known stuff. Movies. Now, one very overlooked thing that doesn't quite have to do with Iran, but in 1979, the uh, the USSR invaded Afghanistan, um, which is a separate issue. But I mean, if you want to know what the Taliban are up to these days, they're in Afghanistan, and surprise, surprise, we're fighting them. Um, so I, that'll probably get mentioned a little bit later. Um, but the Soviets did attack Afghanistan the same year, and then Jimmy Carter, and I believe I have the quote right here, said that any attempt by an outside force to gain control of the Persian Gulf region will be regarded as an assault on the vital interests of the United States of America, and such an assault will be repelled by any means necessary, including military force. And he doesn't just say Afghanistan there. He says the Persian Gulf region, and that's very important because U.S. foreign policy was that any attack, any time, any government, if any government tries to consolidate power, uh, in the Middle East, in the Persian Gulf region, that will be regarded by the U.S. as a threat against the United States. And that's something that's been very true uh, since Jimmy Carter said it in 1979, all the way until the present day. Uh, in fact, both Republicans and Democrats have expanded this doctrine. Uh, Jimmy Carter, you could argue, like what was the most restrained of those, because Ronald Reagan started saying, if anybody threatens our, our oil supply, meaning our ability to get cheap oil, uh, then we'll regard that as a threat on our interests. Um, so I, th- I think that's something worth noting as well. But let's just uh, let's jump forward in time a little bit. Uh, things were, I guess, a little bit quieter uh, in that nineteen after nineteen seventy nine for a little while, and then we hit the nineteen eighties. So you want to say anything about that? Because there are quite a lot of things going on with the Russians and overthrowing. Uh, you know what? Honestly, Ben, we're how far? Are we? Well, I think. We're already twenty minutes in. We gotta twenty minutes. We gotta give them the Spark Notes version. Let's just say this. Let's just say this. 
since 1979, the last 40 years, there has been increased tension between America and Iran. Mm. And that that's basically really all you need to know to understand what just happened last in the last few weeks. Right. And and just to, so we're being very brief, um, Al Qaeda. If you uh, just a, a quick quick history of them, uh, Al Qaeda was formed actually because the the USSR and the United States were having all these tensions in Afghanistan. Um, where we we essentially created Al Qaeda. This might you know be a shock to some. But we viewed the Russians trying to take over Afghanistan as a bad thing. And the Taliban. Yeah, as a bad thing. So we funded Al-Qaeda. We basically tra- helped train their forces. We gave them guns, military aid. Now, we did it through like intermediaries. So there was something called the Pakistan Inter-Services Intelligence Agency, which officially did it. But we were giving money to them. And then they basically helped train and create Al-Qaeda. Right. So when we think of Al Qaeda, just be aware that we created them. This wasn't like some religious extremists, you know, were born out of hatred for the West. We were using them as a weapon against the Soviets. And then if you want to look at the Taliban, the Taliban, if I'm if I'm believing correctly, it was formed out of the vestiges of Al Qaeda because after uh, after the U.S. had kind of, you know, been like, oh, we're done with Al Qaeda now, I guess. Um, there were some extremists left that branched off out of Al Qaeda and formed the Taliban. So, if you want to be accurate about these things, when we think about you know these two terrible terrorist groups, which have done some very bad things, um, they were created by the United States. So, it, sort of like uh, the U.S.'s Victor Frankenstein creating Frankenstein's monster, we thought that we were doing something important and and worthwhile. Uh, we were helping fight the USSR. Um, but we basically created these groups, and now we've had to live with the consequences of those groups. Uh, so let's jump forward a little bit to the point oh, is God. the point is is that they've been bad groups all along. Exactly. That and the CIA and the U.S. government has simply chosen when to decide that they consider them bad groups. Right. So it's it's sort of like this. It's that they're a useful weapon for us when we want them, uh, and we'll give them money and we'll help them. And then well, as soon as we, you know, think that, you know, they're not useful anymore, that, you know, they, they, oh my goodness, act with free will like people do and make a decision that the U.S. might not like, we go, oh no, they've turned on us. Oh, they're bad. And then we, you know, start these propaganda wars. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's jump forward. Obviously, 2001, we have 9-11, um, which if you want to get into, into that, because this is, this is important. It is seemingly unrelated. Uh, but it actually is connected. So Ben, I have to go refill my coffee mug. If you want to give our our listeners uh, connect the dots for them with with the nine uh, eleven attacks. Well, you have the 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 hijackers of the planes on nine eleven were mostly Saudi Arabian and I. There was a couple of Iranian and mostly Saudi Arabian and Egyptian, and it was all under. Osama bin Laden, who was kind of the mastermind of the attack, if if we want to call it that, I I don't. Um, but trying to connect it to Iran and the nine eleven attacks, it's it's kind of complicated. I guess Paul would consider it not that complicated. I'm here, but uh, Al Qaeda was the one involved. Correct with uh nine eleven, right? Yes, 
And I, I, was just, I was just saying that most of the hijackers, I believe, were Egyptian and Saudi Arabian. Yeah. Egyptian and Saudi, correct, yes. Which, which just so just so we are very clear here, they were not Iranian or Iraqi. All right, continue. All right, I, 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 I feel like that said, needs to be said. I wasn't sure if yeah. they were Iran- if, if a couple of them were Iranian. Well, but. even if a couple of them were, this wasn't an attack orchestrated by the Iranian or the Iraqi governments. Exactly. As much yes. as they would like you to believe this, it was not Saddam Hussein. It was not uh, uh, Bashar al-Assad. It was not Soleimani. So, so let's just continue with that. It was Osama bin Laden, uh, but he was not – right. I'm, I'm correct on that, right? Yes, that's what I was saying. Yeah. But it was not done by Iraq or Iran or Afghanistan. So just be aware that none of the groups that were responsible for 9-11 are the ones that we are currently fighting, right? We're not fighting the Egyptians. that we fought in 2002 and 2003. Correct. Right. When George Bush said there's the axis of evil, what did he say? They were like Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, or Syria, Iran, whatever it was, let's just say the Saudis were not one of them. Um, and we've actually been allied with the Saudis for a while, and we haven't treated Egypt as a threat. So the two groups that are actually behind 9-11, we did not pursue action against, which does make you kind of wonder Although, did what, we what, try to what, our, help? what our goals yeah. are in the Middle East. But we, we can get to our skeptical theories about that in a minute. Well, I think right. yeah, go ahead. You, you, said, you said we haven't done anything about Saudi Arabia or Egypt. Um, oh well, yeah. Sorry, Egypt. We have yes. We'll, yeah, we'll, Egypt. I we helped kind of overthrow the government there. Sure. Now, the what Arab I mean Spring. is, we didn't get into an, a giant extended conflict. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about. I guess the Arab Spring. Actually, let's jump over. Well, where do you want to go now? I figure we go to nine eleven. We just say, hey, the war on terror, quote unquote, has officially started, um, and we've been involved in. What well, at, at this point we're involved with Afghanistan. Uh, we've been in there actually, I think, how many years? 16, 18, 22, something like yeah, that. Like, it's, it's 2020 now. So yeah, we've been, they, we've been in there like basically as long as, you know, the, the younger, the teenagers have been alive. Uh, and we still haven't won, which is kind of crazy. Um, and, and as they say, hindsight is 2020. Everyone now says that the war on terror was a mistake or most people except a few neocons. Right. But most McCain. people say, yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> May he may he uh, rest in peace. I don't want to. Disp- I'm not disparaging. Well, I kind of am disparaging John McCain. I don't want to speak ill of the he dead. Was, but he was a war hero, but I can't say much about his politics. He never saw a war he didn't want to get involved with. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so basically, we see now that it was a mistake, and that taking out Saddam was a mistake. I, like I said, some people still don't see it that way. Um, but. We've we've made mistakes over the last 18, 20 years in foreign policy, and we're continuing we're continuing that tradition this new decade. We are. So let's let's uh, we'll just give a really really brief summation of what the U.S. has done. I think since let's let's just say that since two thousand, but really it's probably more at the twenty tens. Um, we overthrew Gaddafi in Libya, which was engineered obviously by the Obama slash Hillary administration. Uh, they were like, oh, Gaddafi's a bad guy. And then it turns out that Libya has just been a complete train wreck. Their economy's collapsing. Uh, they've not been doing well. Uh, 20 years down the line, Libya may be the new Iran. Uh, you remember how World War II, how Adolf Hitler came to power was because 
the German economy had been wrecked and the people were desolate and they were upset. You know, those are the kind of circumstances that create a breeding ground for a leader that, you know, could be totalitarian or evil or something like that. So we messed up in Libya where we overthrew Gaddafi, who really wasn't that bad of a leader when you, you know, grade him on the scale that we would grade like non-European and U.S. countries. Um, Egypt, we overthrew the government there. I forget the specific name of the leader. Uh, as soon as we do that and then we sort of pull out... Um, they elect the, the the Arab Spring, the Muslim Brotherhood, those types, like even more radical people. So it's almost as if we should have just left Egypt to its own devices. Uh, of course, the neocons would tell you that we should have just, you know, stayed involved there and it wouldn't have happened. But then we would have had, you know, another puppet state and that would have caused its own problems down the line. Um, it was uh, Mubarak. Yeah, yeah, Mubarak. Hasn't you're right. Mubarak. You're right. You're right. Uh, Mubarak. So we, we intervened in Libya. We intervened in Egypt. Uh, we kept our fingers meddling in the Iranian pie. Uh, we haven't even talked about Iraq, which is probably the the biggest war in terms of what the public and, thinks and to about. Clar- I, I just want to clarify. Yeah, go ahead. Just because we are against the intervention in these situations doesn't mean we're against what the government was doing to the people. Oh, oh, in yeah, Egypt and yeah. Libya. Sorry, let me make this. I just let me make, make this very clear. clear. The governments in those countries violated human rights. They were not good governments, and they were not a lot of the time good people. All right, let me make that. I'm not making apologies, or I'm not being an apologist for these regimes. Uh, I have and, no sympathy and, and, for them at all. Um, and I honestly, they would be a much better place if they if they functioned the way that the United States does. And and I want to say one more thing is that <clears throat> I don't support the United States government going over there, and, and unless unless it's it's directly a threat to our national security right. and our people and our people are getting hurt. And I'll clarify because, you know, some people claimed this past assassination was because of that as well. But if you are an American citizen and you're, you, you're a mercenary or a, um, you know, a military, a private military contractor, and you wanted to go over there and help fight against the government, I, I don't think anyone would have any problem with that because you could, you have the freedom to do to do what you want and right. and help with the overthrow of the Egyptian government or the Libyan government or the Iranian government what have you but but the the United States government should not be the one to do that yeah and I, I think we'll we'll definitely hit that towards the, the end the yeah we'll hit that we'll hit all of our main points towards the end I'm just trying to give you our cynical take on this all um but the U.S. went out, took out Saddam Hussein. We said he had weapons, <clears throat> sorry, weapons of mass destruction, went in, took over the country. It turns out there were no weapons of mass destruction. That was either one of the biggest uh, intelligence failures in history or we were just lying to the American people to get them on board th- with the war. Um, so that's three regimes. So we've gone through Libya, we've gone through Egypt, and we've gone through Iraq that the U.S. has overthrown leaders with. And we have one, two three resulting regimes that have come into power after we overthrew their government that have been worse than the ones that we took over. Uh, So that's three already. We haven't even talked about Iran, obviously, if you want to count our coup back in the 1950s, and then the resulting revolution and reinstallation of the fundamental uh, Muslim government there. That's four countries. And then uh, what do we have? We have Afghanistan. We we didn't start that one, um, but we're basically aiding the Currently in Afghanistan, this is something I did. Uh, I've done 
my uh, did a seminar paper this past semester on transitional justice issues in Afghanistan. Um, but the Russians and the U.S. have been fighting in Afghanistan for forever indirectly. Uh, the U.S. and the British are backing the Afghan government, which is Muslim but not an explicitly Muslim government. And then the other side of that fight is the Taliban. And we've been in there for over a decade, approaching two decades if we haven't hit that already. And the Taliban control half the country, right? There's no end to this. We can't win. The Taliban basically, I think the real reason that we're in there is we're trying to curb out their drug trade because the Taliban, uh, basically what they do in Afghanistan is they have farmers uh, who are autonomous farmers, but they produce uh, you know, poppy seeds, things that can be used to create opium, which then goes into making heroin. So the U.S.'s goal there is to basically stomp out that drug trade. Um, but what we're doing is we've, we've been fighting there. We don't know how to fight in that region. And we're actually, this time, we're not fighting to overthrow the government. We're fighting to keep the government in power, but we're barely winning. It's still like a 50-50 split. So there's three countries that we've overthrown, four if you count the 1950s coup in Iran. Uh, we have one country that we've been at war with for almost two decades and haven't made any ground uh, on. And then we have Syria, where, believe it or not, I told you we created Al-Qaeda and that we created the Taliban. Well, we also created ISIS because we have never been friends of Bashar al-Assad. And this is exemplified by the fact that Tulsi Gabbard once met with Assad to talk about how we could make things better for the people in that region and de-escalate tensions. And she goes to meet with him to talk about that. And then all of a sudden, all the Americans are calling her a traitor and someone who loves Assad. Uh, so we already, you know, let's just say that we don't like Assad. Um, and for a long time, we've wanted to throw a, overthrow Assad. A couple of years ago, they were spreading, uh, our intelligence agencies were claiming that Assad was gassing his own people and using chemical weapons on them. And it turns out that only over the past few months, we've gotten a report that says that that was not true. And that, in fact, there was evidence that this was not true, and there was no evidence that it was happening. So if you have a cynical take on that, you'd say that the U.S. was edging towards overthrowing Bashar al-Assad in Syria, and they didn't quite get there, and it turns out that we figured out the information was false. But uh, but there's another region that we are oh so close to overthrowing Assad, the, the, the leader in, right? And what's interesting is that we actually have been, even though we haven't directly overthrown the government, We've been funding this group called the Syrian Free Army, which is a group of militias that have been fighting against Assad for years. So we're funding Assad's enemies to help them overthrow the government and take over Syria. So there's a reoccurring theme we see here. We want to overthrow leaders who are not really that good people, but they aren't as bad as we, as our intelligence agencies tell the public they are. And then we fund these uh, extremist Islamic groups. We train them, we give them weapons, we supply them with basically anything they need. We go tell them to take out the government. And then when they do, they don't want to do what the U.S. says and they're, we, they end up as the enemies, right? That's happened three times. Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and ISIS, the three boogeymen of the Middle East have been created by the United States. So I think that that should be, that's all a background to the Soleimani killing, because it helps you understand what exactly we've been doing in the region. Obviously, we haven't even touched on this yet. A lot of this is tied to oil. Uh, basically, most of what we run in the U.S. is run on oil, cars, planes, that kind of thing. Uh, we do have our own natural gas reserves, uh, like Texas itself has a lot of oil. Um, but currently, we're so dependent on oil that 
it's been very important for us to not only keep our supply of oil going, but we've actually gotten involved when we think that a leader could come in that could do something that would then create uh, a, a, a rise in gas prices. So if a leader uh, comes in that's not friendly to the U.S. and then you know it might come, it might turn out that say gas prices will go up by a dollar per per gallon, right? The price per barrel will go up. We get really worried, and then all of a sudden there's some bad guys in the region that we go need to go take out, and then we go do that. So not even touching the oil thing or the petrodollar or any of those topics, which I'll, I'll link you to some people who talk about those things. Um, yeah, we've had our fingers in every every piece of the pie in the Middle East. So that leads us up to the Iran situation. Ben, I've been talking for about 10 minutes straight, so I will let you talk about the, the Soleimani killing. I'll give you the first crack about at that. Uh, and if you have anything you want to say about anything I just said. No, I think you hit it all on the head, except, I mean, you didn't really go into too much detail on the the most important part and why we're in the Middle East. You did, you briefly did, but the oil is is vital to this situation, even though, you know, we have states like Texas that are some of the highest producers in oil in the world. We're, we're still our, our main reason into going into these countries. We claim it's to liberate the people, but so often you'll see that it's, it's the oil is really the main reason. Right. And that's, that's truly disturbing if, if to think that that's the reason for so much of us foreign policy. Right. I kind of shied away from that because I was just giving you the sort of like, you know, we overthrow regimes, that kind of thing. But yeah, listen, they tell us it's about democracy. I mean, think about it this way. If we really cared about democracy, right, do you know how many countries in Africa there are who don't have democracies? Do you know how many countries – But they don't have democracy. Do you know how many countries there are in South America and Latin America that don't have democracy? Do you know how many countries there are in Tunisia and Oceania and Southeast Asia that don't have democracy? There are a whole lot of them. I'm going to say at least 50, if you count all of them up together. Why aren't we Why aren't we in, in those countries then trying to help spread democracy? Why is it only Iran, Iraq, Egypt, uh, Afghanistan, And they make you feel Syria. bad. They make you feel bad by saying that – they'll say that, oh – you don't support the spread of democracy and, and human rights. And I go, I am, but why aren't, if, if you truly believed that you were going to free these people and that you were going to give them a better life, then why would you be going to. Right. Think about it this way. If there, if, if you could get, if you could go spread democracy in a country that is dirt poor in South America or Africa, that doesn't have all of these crazy like tensions with other countries in the region or these terrible leaders, or at least not as bad leaders. And it would be relatively easy to help create a democratic society. Why wouldn't we go there? Why are we choosing to go to these Middle Eastern countries? Right. And, you know, I, I hate to say it because obviously, you know, I'm American, I, you know, like I, I like the U.S. I think we do a lot of good things. You know, I'm proud of of the United States in a lot of ways. But it is very, very, very clear that we are in the Middle East because one, we don't like Russia. Two, uh, we don't want any one country, you know, kind of getting control in that region. And three, we're protecting our oil reserves. And there are a lot of people have died. A lot of people have died. A lot of Americans have died. Right, soldiers that signed up for it. And a lot of uh, people that are civilians have gotten killed. 
a lot. I, we're gonna. I'm gonna say if you count up. I mean, if you want to just talk about the Iraq, the Iraq War, and like Yemen, we're already at over a hundred thousand deaths. I mean, we're we're talking tons of people have died because of our policies. Um, yeah, yeah, and I guess the only other thing is, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, you know, they're gonna come over here and attack us, so we need to go take them out. Maybe. Right. There, yeah, there are for sure a lot of fundamental Muslims that hate the West and America and Christianity. But think about it this way. If you are a, a Al-Qaeda or a terrorist group uh, over in the Middle East, right, and you hate the United States and Christianity, they're still we're still not going to be the first group that you attack. Because what does the Taliban have to deal with? They have to deal with the Afghan government and, and, and their neighbors. Al-Qaeda and, and ISIS had to deal with other countries. I mean... The Iranian general Soleimani that we just killed was fighting ISIS, right? You're not going to just go attack the U.S. out of a whim. You need to, you know, establish control in that region, take over all the other countries, and then you can start some sort of like large-scale war against the U.S. And I'm not saying that there wouldn't ever be terrorist attacks because I'm sure that there would be. But I have two things to say that. The first one is, one, if our intelligence agency claims that it's good enough that, you know, it'll claim that this information that is enough to get us into wars is correct. You'd think that they would have intelligence that could protect us from these terrorist attacks, except, oh, wait, they don't, um, which you know kind of calls into question, why are we really trusting what these intelligence agencies say? Why are we assuming that they're only acting in the will of the people and that they're good guys? And then two, you know, I, I, I do not feel sympathy for a lot of the people in the Middle East that hate the United States, especially the government and the evil people that have tried to kill others. But if you live in Iran, you, you've lived in a country that since 1953, for 70 years almost, has had the U.S. interfering, overthrowing, drone striking, attacking, sending soldiers in. If you live in Iraq, your country got invaded. If you're my age or Ben's age, you've grown up with war caused by the United States. So imagine if Russia and China had been involved in the U.S. for 20 years and there had been constant fighting and they've been bombing and, and you've had family members that have died. Sure, maybe hypothetically there's some rationale that explains why they're doing that. But if you live in the United States, you're not going to like Russia. You're not going to like China. You're going to hate them. If you lost a family member in an in air raid or something that was conducted by a Russian plane, don't you think you're going to have a lot of resentment for Russia? You know, You might even militarize and want to go attack them. So I think that a lot of terrorist attacks would be prevented if we just stopped getting involved. I'm not saying that every single one would, but they'd have a lot less of a reason to attack us if we stopped attacking them over in their home countries. Um, that's my... And they wouldn't get the support of the people who are Yeah, think about it this way. Do you think that... Well, it is kind of funny though, because I, I was about to say... You think that the that the random citizens would, you know, just go along with whatever the government said if we weren't attacking them? And I just realized that's exactly what the U.S. people do now because – anyway. Um, yeah, so let's just put it this way. Hey, you might, you might have to cut that yeah, off. Yeah, uh, well, they're know. monitoring this uh, conversation. Let's just put it this way. If something like this happens, listen to what, what your government says, right? Also look at history. Follow the money. And just try to find the real reason. And I'm not saying it's all cynical. Uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of people in the military that you know are fighting for democracy. But when you look at the decisions that have been made, there's really no way that the U.S. is doing this out of goodwill and this sort of you know hope to restore greatness to all these other countries. 
Uh, it's not even really because you know we're worried about an attack. I mean, if we're worried about a threat, we would have invaded Russia by now, given how much everybody thinks that Russia is trying to like take over our elections. Uh, if we're being honest, well, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it. At, I'll leave it at the door. So now we get Soleimani after that forty-five minute prelude. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to Jesse Davies for uh, suggesting to us that we talk about Iran. I think we were going to do it anyway, um, but since he guessed correctly what our topic would be, uh, shout out to him. This is all your fault, Jesse. Um, <laughs> that we're now forty-five minutes in and just now getting to Soleimani. Actually. Actually, you know, blaming blaming Jesse for my decision to ramble for forirty five minutes is just like, like the u s blaming no, it's like blaming uh, Iran for the u s being involved in the Middle East for seventy years, but uh, in the sense that it doesn't make any sense and it tries to absolve uh, my own responsibility in causing this problem. But uh, yeah, so now we get to Soleimani. But, but I'd like to say oh, something ahead. to the Go listeners. Ahead. you sure. listeners out there, you chose to listen to us talk for forty five minutes. A couple of cynical libertarians. So you're just going to have to deal with this. You're, if you made it this far. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the, all I um, have to say. All right. So, Ben, I'll let you – finally, we get to Soleimani. I think we talked a little bit about the run-up. The one American contractor was killed, leading to the retaliatory strike killing 25 Iranians, uh, which led to the protest slash attack on the U.S. Embassy, which was repelled pretty easily and nobody died at all because it was kind of disorganized. And we don't even really know – who was causing? Who was funding that attack? They say it was Soleimani, but given how our intelligence likes to make things up to benefit themselves, I would tend to doubt that. Uh, and uh, and then obviously we killed Soleimani, quote unquote, in re- retaliation for that embassy attack. It is worth noting briefly before I turn it over to you, Ben, that uh, President Trump said that in his speech that Soleimani had been planning multiple future attacks against the u.s and and our people in that region that was the current intelligence right it turns out supposedly but remember turns, the current intelligence at the time was that uh, well there were weapons of mass destruction but here's the thing ben i don't think it was the current intelligence because i believe it was mick mulvaney whoever our secretary of defense is was asked about it and he said the yeah secretary of defense is mark uh esper oh my, it must have been esper then the, it was one of the – I forget which – there's so many man officials these days. Uh, government is just way too big if you ask me. Uh, should be like three people. All right. Anyway. <clears throat> um, actually – <laughs> Okay. That I, sounds I, like a dictatorship. I know. I just I just advocated for oligarchy. I take it all back, guys. Um, but uh, but the, whoever it was, that they were giving a press conference and they actually said, yes, we think that Soleimani was behind this attack. And then he said, no, I have not seen evidence, direct evidence – that Soleimani was planning future attacks, but I trust the president. You know, I think that what you know he was correct in what he was and saying. He's the secretary, of yeah, defense. and he said I haven't seen this evidence, right? And so, he is the one. So, he is the one. So Trump goes out and says this to the intel officers every day. He's the one right. who's talking to them, and if he's the one that says, uh, you know, I'm not really sure, then maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't have done it. And here's another thing: is that. There are a number of people like Soleimani in the world uh, that are uh, high high power. They're high powered individuals in their government. Mm-hmm. They have helped the United States in the past. I'm making a generic uh, resume for this person. This this unknown person. They, they've helped the U.S. in the past. They're a high powered official, and they may or may not be responsible for the death of let's say a dozen or so Americans. Um, And 
you may say you may say by looking at that resume going that does not sound like the best person right you know they they're responsible for the, for the deaths of americans right but there are so many of these people and we choose every day we choose this is a choice of the u.s government we choose not to assassinate these people right because we realize the ramifications now my question is since since days go by without you know, assassinating, you know, maybe the secretary of state of Uganda, who's responsible for the death of someone. We, we choose not to assassinate that person, but we choose to assassinate this person. Why? I, that is the question. And I think it points to the United States government's motives. Mm. Why are, why do we do these things? Are we doing it because of democracy? Are we doing it, you know, to protect our allies? I don't think it's any of those things. I agree. And let's just be clear. Soleimani doesn't seem like he was the greatest guy. Um, no. There does seem to be a question. But like I said, he oh, he was responsible for fighting ISIS right. in he was, Iraq. And that's I, that was my point about there are a number of people that help us. Right. And here, here's and the thing. They aren't good people. Do you think Soleimani – like do you think – let's put it this way. They said, you know, we're like, oh, he thought he was untouchable, but he wasn't expecting this, right? He was kind of like, yeah, I'm fighting ISIS, like, I don't really like the U.S., but like, we're kind of. He wouldn't have if he thought he was going to be assassinated. He wouldn't have gone to Baghdad. Exactly, he was like, they're not going to kill me, you know. And the Saudis, I think, are claiming that, or the Iraqis were claiming he was going to Saudi talk with Saudis for like a peace mission or something like that. I I don't know how much to buy into that because I'm as distrustful of their governments as I am of you know ours our own motives. Um, also, if my memory serves correctly. I, the Iraqi government did not give us permission. No, which, no. by the way, the Iraqi yeah. government is our All ally. Right, so they didn't give us permission well, to conduct. Let's this. put it this way: people have been arguing about whether or not he's a terrorist. I'll leave that discussion for another time. Suffice it to say that he may have done things that we would consider terrorist acts. Two points to that. Yes. Two points to that. One, regardless of that, he is still a government official for our country. So, if anything, is a do- it would be anyway. And then two, you think that the U.S. hasn't done things that are objectively considered terrorist attacks? Like, come on. Um, let's be fair here. You could, you could probably kill half of our general staff and claim that they're terrorists because of stuff that they – raids that they've ordered been carried out. Um, so it is a little bit you know, disingenuous to say, oh, these are just a terrorist. You know, I, I think he was a bad guy, but you know, there is that. And then there's also the fact that even though he did some terrorist things, you, have, you, can't, yes. you can't assassinate so the, the top is, general. So the question is, is every bad person – now there's a distinction because you know we we know that there are bad people in the world that there are evil people in the world and we admit that they're bad evil people but why is it that certain people get the label of terrorists and other people don't even though they could be they could both be you know perceived as a terrorist right. do you see what yeah, I'm saying no exactly it, like, it's all about definitions like like Hitler Hitler isn't considered a terrorist he's He's considered an evil, horrible, dictatorial, um, authoritarian um, military individual, and yet this is the, a similar person who's 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 responsible for less deaths than Hitler, obviously. Um, well, I, it is kind of funny that we're comparing him to Hitler and being like, "Well, it's not as bad as that guy." I mean, Hitler's one of the worst ever. But I, I take your I know, point. No, but obviously. we didn't even call Hitler a terrorist. So why why is it? Who, well, who? Where do we get off calling people terrorists? Why can't we just say and, and, this was a bad person that we didn't want in power? Right. All, and, that's all they had to say. I, and I bet the United States populace would have still been would have been fifty fifty on it. You right. Well, the, the thing is, it's it's Even easy. We didn't call him a 
It's easy to be okay with killing people that are an ocean away, that we don't know, that we don't see. But let's just put aside the morality question of whether or not killing him was the smart idea. Uh, There's two things I'd like to point out about it. One is just the fact that it's dumb strategically. And then two, the fact that, you know, kind of U.S. intervention, the way that this is played out in the interim suggests that U.S. uh, leaving the Middle East alone would actually result in more diplomacy. Uh, yeah. But that's that's a little controversial. But first, uh, dumb strategically. So let's let's just say that Soleimani was the worst guy in the world, which he's close to it, but not quite. Um, which how can we prove when we've just now heard about him as right? Well, it, it is funny how it's kind of like, oh, by the way, there was this like terrible bad guy who you've never heard of, you know. Um, anyway, but you know, I, I'm not defending the guy. He obviously did bad things. And, and, and his own I'm, people, I, I don't hate, think really. I'm liked not him. defending him. I am not defending him. I don't think he was a good person personally, and I don't think he he did good things. I think he did horrible things. But if he was, quote, the worst person in the world, why would he have helped the United States and help Iraqi forces kill ISIS? Which there's actually which just a few years ago were we were saying that they were the worst people in the world. It, it so is. So it just well here's all, here's all, here's what I'm going to say. We actually there's a picture of Soleimani inspecting U.S. troops in the region because we were working together. So there's a picture of the U.S. soldiers standing, and then he's like you know doing that thing where like generals come by and like look at all the soldiers. Two, yeah, there is something to the fact that it's like, oh, we need to go invade, you know this country it's like oh why well it's like well you know they have weapons chemical weapons about syria and then it's like oh no they're gonna kill all the kurds and then it's like oh wow like none of the kurds are dying we're like three months ago like the american people were ready to go to war they're like oh no trump's pulling soldiers out and it wasn't even like he was pulling them out of the middle east he was moving them from one country to another in the middle east and they were like oh no if the u.s isn't there all the kurds will be slaughtered and then it turns out that they just like made an agreement with each other with turkey and nothing's happened but it's kind of funny how it's like, oh, well, there's this reason, and that reason ends up being not true. Oh, well, what about this reason? And that reason ends up being not true. And there's this reason, and it ends up being not true. And they just keep trying, and then they find a way. They'll find one. Um, but yeah. can I can I just say something going back? A, no, a no, I'm joking. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, it's it's about terrorism. Now I looked up the definition, and there's. Uh, multiple definitions by different countries, but in general, this is what people classify terrorism as. And it is, here's the first part of the definition is, it is the use of violence or the threat of violence in the pursuit of political, religious, ideological, or social objectives. And here's the second part and wait for it, which this would exclude Soleimani from being quote a terrorist it doesn't make does i'm not saying he's not a bad person i'm saying it would exclude him from being terrorist the use of violence blah 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 ideological social religious and acts committed by non-state actors Mm. so i guess the best you could say is you could call iran or iran a rogue state right and you could say oh they're not a good state if that's the case declare war Declare war, go through Congress, and then you know go fight Iran if you think he's that bad. Don't just go pick off one of the generals and be like, "Well, he was a terrorist. It's okay." But actually, real quick, bef- and okay, by the but, way, by the way, yeah. just just one more thing. It's we're we're both so excited about this topic. Say, we're like, wait, wait, wait! I got something else. Go ahead. <laughs> no, but people people have almost seemingly forgotten, even though it was just two basically two or three weeks ago that this happened. And here's the thing. They're like, oh, 
we we assassinated him and it's kind of over now. It's kind of quiet. But the Ayatollah said that the killing of General Soleimani was an act of war. Mm. Now, the president of our country, President Trump, said it wasn't an act of war. But the person who was assassinated, his you know, his superior just said that this was an act of war. So I would think it's safe to assume, even if we don't get into an immediate conflict, that there could be a war that, it, that it's basically a war that's happening right now without us really knowing about it. Now, remember in other wars, you know, something horrible happens, you know, someone is assassinated or, you know, there's some kind of event that occurs that stimulates a war. The war doesn't happen the next day usually. Right. And specifically within the context of Iran, I think I'd mentioned this to you and a friend of ours so it's ignorant to a say, couple weeks ago. I think it's ignorant yeah. to say that it's it's just going to, you know, we're going to assassinate someone and it's it's blown over immediately. Right. Well, Iran, Iran has a history yeah. of working very slowly. I, I think I, I can't, I don't remember where the article was specifically, but there have been three times where the U.S. has killed somebody or done a drone strike or something like that. And Iran's waited months and then they drop the hammer when people aren't expecting it. They've done this to Israel before where Israel Israel launched a, a, a strike. I think it was drones or missiles that killed some of their members. And then they waited like six months and then they went after some Israeli diplomats, right? So Iran, what they like mm-hmm. to do is they, they talk a big game and then they don't do anything. And then you, it blows over and then bam, they hit you. So I don't know if that will happen. I'm not saying that's going to happen, obviously. But yeah, there is something to dismissing this. Now, real quick, before we jump into, uh, I think we're not going to have time for our 2020 events. We're going to have to break this up into two podcasts. Um, yeah, well, we can do Yeah, that. so anyway, I mean, 2020 is only just beginning. Um, and uh, But I get two things I want to talk about real quick. One, you touched on this earlier. I'd like you to go into it a little bit more um, about where – where Soleimani was killed and why that might create problems, like what's going on with like Iraq and the Saudis and, and all, all that. Well, there's, there's a number of things that it violated that here's, here's what happened. So the strike against Soleimani and the other, I think it was like six or seven, or maybe it was a dozen people that were killed. They were killed in Baghdad. Now, Baghdad is the capital of Iraq, which is since the Operation Iraqi Freedom, mm-hmm. um, they've been our ally. So we didn't – usually what happens is when we go into another ally's country, we're, we're, you know, we have troops there already peacefully, obviously. They're, they're stationed there. They're not doing anything. But if we're going to make a movement – you know, we're, we, you know, we're going to go through the streets and we have to, they make communications with the government mm-hmm. now. And we tell them that we're going to do something. Now, this is a big event. We, there was, there was, you know, city property that was destroyed. Right. Now imagine if Germany, which is an ally of the United States, they, there was a fugitive in the in the United States, let's say in you know Miami or something. Hold on, they decided hold on. Let, that they let's were not let's not even say fugitive. Let's say that who's Russia? Let's just let or not Russia, Germany. Let's just say that Germany is an an enemy. Germany is hostile with, but not at war with Australia. Right? Hypothetically, that, there's no, don't take my that that's not true. It's just for the sake of the hypothetical. 
So Germany doesn't like Australia. They think that Australia is like run by terrorists, but they like haven't declared war. They haven't done anything. And then yeah, a yeah, top yeah. Australian general slash government official comes to the U.S. to talk with somebody fr- in Washington, Washington D.C. Now, now, and now, Germany now, go sets, ahead. Sets a drone attack. They set a drone attack on the Lincoln Memorial, and part of it's destroyed. And they and they kill I mean, and they killed the Australian say, general slash high ranking leader. Yes, it would be safe to say, which, by the way, the United States didn't have a problem with. And it would be safe to say that the American people would be pissed. Right. E- even if even Is if we're correct? okay with it, you'd say, whoa, whoa, you didn't get permission from us to do this. Yeah. This guy was a guest of ours. Um, he was here to conduct negotiations, uh, and you just decided to kill him without talking to us? You would think that and we would say, be well, royally upset, and this isn't even Iran. This is just the. This is like Iraq has this, nothing to do with this whole thing. Yeah. And this is the reasoning behind it. Even though it may have uh, violated international law, they say, "Well, we just got the intel. We had to make the move quick." You know, uh, I'm he was sorry. In Baghdad, can, can you can you break ally. international rules because oh, we had to do it quickly? Is that an excuse? No. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. That's my. That was. We didn't have time to tell that. Iraq it's, that we were about to kill a leader that was in town in their capital for a peace mission because we think he's a terrorist and we decided we needed to kill him. Sorry, we didn't tell you about that. Ha ha ha. We had to move quickly. Like uh, what? What? Uh, yeah. And and because we are the more powerful country, we and, can. But do but that. here's the thing. We with, can do I, that. I, I want to quote Stan Lee. With great power comes great responsibility. I think a lot of this is because we don't really view Iraq as like on the same level as we would a European country. We don't think of Iran the same way. We're kind of like, yeah, we can do whatever we want in that region. We we would never do something like yeah. that to Germany, or to, we would never kill someone in Germany without Germany's permission, right? But we do it to Iraq yeah, because, because we, we have this superiority because, complex, right? But we have a yeah. responsibility because we, we could just go in and like like nuke the entire Middle East if you really want to go total war. But we have an obligation to not act that way. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Exactly. No, I was just going to say, you're right. If if there was, if it had been an established country with a lot of power, like the UK or France or, you know, some other country like, you know, Brazil or South Africa or something, you know, that, that's been an established power with, um, for a number of years, we and that's an ally of the United States. We wouldn't have done that, but because it's a found, basically a foundling country still, uh, because we basically just freed them fifteen years ago from Saddam. Freed. Yeah. In quotes, it is. It is funny. We, we say allies. What we really mean is we, we wouldn't have we, done we that. We overthrew your government, took you over for a while, and now we're quote unquote allies. So you should give us this one. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So I, it's not like we're best friends with Iraq. This, it, this they, is they still, quid pro quo. Yeah, no, they still don't really me. like us over in Iraq. I mean, the, their legislature just voted us and said, "Hey, we just voted that you have to leave the country," and we got to see if we're going to do that even. Um. But yeah, okay. So I think we've covered Soleimani. Let's talk about real quick. Um, I don't really want to make predictions for what's going to happen with like war or anything like that because we don't really. Nobody knows. Yeah. What are, What are your predictions? Yeah. No, like, no, I'm not making. I'm not touching that one. You can make a prediction if you want to. What I want to talk about is. I. I what I want to talk about is this somewhat counterintuitive uh, idea that that the lack of U.S. intervention, that U.S. intervention, rather than as the U.S. government and the CIA and the people think of it, rather than that prevent um, 
hostilities in the region that it rather helps. Hey, wait, them. can yes. I just clarify? When I say intervention, now some libertarians are, would be upset with me at this. I'm 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 specifically Correct. saying military intervention. If you wanted to send humanitarian aid over there, well, but yeah, because I that's be that's not that. that's not aggression. That's that's peaceful. That's exactly. helping people. Uh, you know, we actually. I was about to say we could do a whole other podcast just on sanctions in the Middle East and how destructive those are, but. Uh, that's that's not something that we have time for today, unfortunately. And and by, speaking of sanctions, Soleimani was sanctioned by the UN and the European Union, Union and but they didn't classify him as a terrorist. The well, here, but here's the reason why they do that. It, you know what? Let's let's not get into that now. The UN Listen, wasn't in support the, of this. The really really quick answer to why the whole world seems to sanction Iran is because. The, this is going to blow some people's minds, but I doubt it. The U.S. is basically the reserve. The, the U.S. is the reserve currency for basically the whole world, right? We use the dollar. Now, forget the fact that we went off the gold standard, pulled the bait and switch, defaulted on our loans, and like did all this terrible stuff in the 1960s, where we basically screwed all the other countries, and now they're stuck. the The monetary transfer system is the U.S. dollar, and what we do is when we sanction a country like Iran. We put pressure on companies from other countries to not do business with countries like Iran. So if we were to sanction a country, it's not just that the U.S. says, oh, we won't trade with you, right? Because that's fine, right? That's an embargo. We put, we put pressure on all these other countries to do the same thing. And what we can do is we can threaten them because the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency, and that's the way that uh, worldwide money transfer is done. We can basically threaten to like run the country run the company out of business by manipulating and playing with it. It's really complicated and it's something that I think we should probably break down later. But suffice it to say that these companies are scared to death to do business with them because they're worried that the US is going to manipulate this reserve currency, which is wrong, first of all, that we shouldn't be you know, it some people might be like, oh well so I mean can't we, you know, put pressure when we're when we're threatening to do that, that's really that's that's I would say immoral. So what essentially happens is the whole world sanctions the country. Um, they can't get any sort of infrastructure or supplies or anything like that. They're, we don't expressly sanction humanitarian aid, but even though we don't do that, a lot of companies are so scared of U.S. repercussions against them that they won't supply the humanitarian aid. And it turns out that the people of the country are in a terrible situation, right? Uh, so it's not like, oh, we're just pressuring the government. The government doesn't care, but we're hurting the people of the country. So when these sanctions are done by the whole world, it's really crippling to the, the innocent civilians. One. And two, they don't even work because we've done that. We've been doing that to Cuba for forever and their government hasn't fallen. We've been doing it to Iran forever and that government hasn't fallen. So it's immoral and it doesn't work. But that's the Sparknotes version. Um, I'll, I'll mention a few people that are helpful on that issue. Um, but yeah, that's that's the sanction argument. Um, but Ben, how about we wrap this up by discussing uh, how U.S. intervention actually promotes hostility rather than uh, encourages diplomatic uh, reconciliations? Oh, wow. That is such a big topic. It's kind of scary. It is. Um, I don't know. I'll have to think about that for a second. How does it promote hostility instead of – what was it? Uh, well, let's just say U.S. The, How instead of yeah, we, we claim that this is helping everybody stay peaceful when that's actually the opposite. 
Uh, and I'd actually, I, I'll actually, you I know, think I'll the facts speak for themselves. I'll I'll link. I won't link to articles because we don't have a website, but um, you can look at on. Yeah, so there's an article by Trista Parsi, Trita Parsi recently called The Middle East is More Stable When the U.S. Stays Away. Uh, if you listen to Scott Horton's show, he had Trita Parsi on recently. Um, I, I'll link you I'll, – I'll mention some guys at the end that are helpful for this kind of thing. Uh, but there, there are articles and documents you can read about this phenomenon. So, Ben, go ahead. No, I was just saying that it – I think the facts speak for themselves. You look historically at the Middle East and ever since the United States has been an existing country and we've since we've been involved and like you you gave the short history basically the last 70 years or so 75 years we've encouraged if it hadn't been for us the Iranian revolution in 1979 may not have occurred. And prior to the 1979 mm revolution um iran was a little bit more uh secularized and and it was kind of it 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 had a lot of western uh it had some western values to it and it was relatively peaceful people were less oppressed um but because of u.s intervention and because of our involvement the people became became, you know, dissatisfied with the United States and foreign involvement, Western involvement in general, you know, the, the UK and other countries. Um, and I think had they not be, had they not been dissatisfied, you know, I don't think they would have swung so far to the radical side of things, the government that is. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't think yeah, it would have swung that I do. far and, uh, if we hadn't been there. Now, I'm not saying that they wouldn't, there wouldn't be still radicals there. There certainly would be, um, because of certain aspects to, uh, it just this, just the general, uh, Middle Eastern. I don't, I don't really know how to put that, but. Yeah. yeah, the Middle East will never be completely yeah. peaceful. However, we're doing a lot to make sure it stays uh, perpetually not just non-peaceful, but we're making it worse. We're, we've killed way more people than probably any other country has mm-hmm. in that region. Um, but the point that, that I'd like to add to that is that um, we've actually seen in the aftermath – basically, the Saudis have shown willingness to cooperate with other countries uh, after President Trump – came out and gave a speech and said, we're not trying to go to war with Iran. Uh, they've started to broach diplomatic resolutions with these other countries. And what's happened for a long time is that countries and leaders think that they they can get the U.S. to become involved in a war. This is particularly true of Saudi Arabia. Uh, we have a pretty close, uh, you know, notice we've never attacked Saudi Arabia, despite the fact that they were one of the countries behind the 9-11 attacks. Uh Turns out that one, when you are a country full of really rich people that have access to oil and a lot of money, uh, we might not attack you as much if you, you know, are working on the same page. Um, but what the Saudis have been doing for a while is they've been uh, using the U.S. as a tool to help them. So what we do currently, and this is something that we haven't even mentioned, I think I might have mentioned it briefly, but the Saudis are committing genocide against the people of Yemen. It's one of the most horrific things happening in the world right now, and nobody talks about it. 
uh, and we're basically giving them money and helping them fund and arm. Uh, you know, we're we're giving them money for weapons, right? Saudi Arabia, they know that you know we're on the same page as them. And think about it this way: if you if you're a little kid, right, and you have a disagreement with another little kid, and you have a big brother who has like a baseball bat, um, are you more likely to try to make a deal with the kid, or are you just going to call in the big brother to go beat him up if he doesn't give you what he what you want? Right. That's the way the Saudis have operated. They've said, oh, well, you know what? We can just get the U.S. to kind of like interfere with these other countries if they don't agree with us. Uh, and that's the way that they've been approaching diplomacies. And they've seen no reason to, you know, talk things out, come to deals, approach things peacefully. Um, but it, it, in the aftermath of this, this speech that Trump's given, it appears that they're willing to do that. And why, why might that be? It's probably because... Uh, they hear, oh, look, the U.S. isn't about to go to war with Iran. They're not going to help us out here. So maybe it's better if we try to negotiate with them. And I'm not saying that the Middle East is going to be a good place if, if the U.S. pulls out. It's not, right? The, there's always going to be war and strife in that region. But if countries don't have the looming specter of the United States, both directly killing them if they're in countries that the U.S. considers an enemy, uh, indirectly funding people that are trying to kill them if the U.S. considers them an enemy but isn't quite ready to sell that war to the American people, or if they are allies with the U.S. Uh, who are then backstabbed and killed because they do something the U.S. doesn't like, or if they are allies with the U.S. and are really rich and have oil who think that they can get the U.S. to go kill other people in the region that disagree with them, uh, if the U.S. isn't doing any of those things, then there's much more of a reason for those countries to at least try not to get involved in these wars and to work things out. Uh, and I'm not saying that it's going to work, but I'll say this. It has not yet been tried, right? And we've seen one side of this. We've seen when the U.S. gets involved and there are hundreds of thousands of people dead and there are people mad. There are generations that have grown up without families. There are people that hate us in that region. There have been governments overthrown. There have been even worse regimes put into place. So even if you're fine with all this you know, morality talk about whether or not it's moral for the U.S. to go into this, uh, let's just say you're fine. You say, oh, well, you know what? Fine. We're protecting our interests. Nothing we've done has helped us, right? We've only made things worse. Um, but let's just, let's just, we've seen that side of things. Why don't we try leaving them alone? Could it be worse? Maybe. But it's not like we won't be able to step in if, you know, all of a sudden ISIS like takes over, you know, the entire Middle East and tries to attack the US. It's not like we won't be ready. Why don't we just pull out, encourage negotiations and diplomatic solutions, stop getting involved, and then see what happens. We've given war a try. Why not give peace a try? Right? Here's the problem. That's not gonna happen because the US isn't in the Middle East to create democracy. They're in there because, you know, we're selfish and we want oil and we want leaders that will do what we want. So I guess it has to start with a regime change from the United States. We have to change our leaders who will change their approach. Uh, Republicans and Democrats have, you know, they, they all run on ending the wars. Barack Obama ran on not getting us into a war. Donald Trump ran on not getting us in, into a war. And even though those two presidents haven't directly gotten us into wars, they've continued the drone strikes. I mean, Obama, a lot of people call him the drone strike president, and Trump's actually, he's upped the, the rate of drone strike attacks. He's been worse than Obama in that regard, right? George W. Bush, after 9-11, got us into this war on terror. Uh, Bill Clinton continued the, the aggression that the first Bush started. Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, they're either directly getting into wars or they're funding you know, other groups that are doing the, the killing on our behalf. 
And, and it's the entire U.S. government is complicit in this. It's not a left or a right wing issue. It should be enough that the liberals who claim to be, you know, about peace, love, and all that stuff, they should be anti-war. They're only anti-war when Republicans in office. And then, uh, you know, on the other side, you have all the Republicans who talk about how, oh, you know, we're in so much debt and we can't afford these wars and all this stuff. They only say that when a Democrat's in office. And then as soon as a Republican gets in, it's, oh, we got to go protect, you know, America. And they start waving the American flag around, right? I, I don't, it, there just has to be a fundamental change. And it's weird because both sides should be able to agree on this. You, you can think it's immoral or you can think it's moral, but it doesn't work. But what you can't think is that it's moral and it does work. And yet we still pursue this. I, you know, that's, For some reason, that's my, that's my rant. To, to be non-radical in your beliefs. It, know it's, why you know, is. this is a crazy world, which is why, you know, uh, well, you're considered anyway. a, a radical if you think that, you know, being non-aggressive towards other countries is, you know, perhaps the way to, you know, create peace in a certain region. And I don't see... Yeah, or, and here's the thing. Even if there's not peace, right? If you, if you see two people fighting... And you say, oh, well, I'm going to go break up the fight and you end up like actually beating them both up, right? There's a problem with that. But think about it this way. If you see two people fighting, if you can't get them to stop, if, if you're going to, if entering the fight is just going to make you complicit, why not stay out of it? Right? Even if, you know, we, we, it's like, oh, well, you know, why not try to get peace? It's like, well, because we're not going to have peace in that region and we're going to have blood on our hands. If there's going to be killing in that region, let them do it. Like if there's no reason for us to be killing people ourselves. We're, we're doing something that is immoral, right? Sure. Maybe there would still be as much bloodshed in the Middle East. Maybe the, you know, Iran and Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Yemen and Qatar and the United Arab Emirates and Afghanistan, all these countries are always going to be killing each other, but that doesn't mean that we have to be go, go over and kill them too. You know, mm -hmm. we should at least keep our hands clean, but any parting thoughts, Ben? I think we're, we're close to wrapping this one up. No, I think I think we we covered a a fair amount of the history of the Middle East, and I think I think we did did our uh, did our uh, listeners justice in explaining. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll mention some people that are worth listening to. Um, <clears throat> yeah, this was kind of a dismal topic, but this you know this is an important issue, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I would just – I don't know if you have any people in particular you'd like to plug, but I would like to plug uh, Scott Horton. He has a podcast. Uh, it's called Anti-War Radio. Uh, he is pretty anti-war. Um, but at least even if you disagree with him, it's worth it. You know, How radical? Um, I mean he's, he's like the standard libertarian. It's called anti-war, but he's not like a, you know, he's not like a, a 1960s like hippie or anything. Um, but yeah, but Scott Horton's good. He gives little like, you know, 20 minute to 30 minute podcasts with different guests that are in the media, that are writing articles, that are in the news. Uh, and it's worth listening to, you know, even just so you understand like what's going on in the Middle East has been tremendously helpful in that regard. Uh, he actually wrote a book called Fool's Errand about the war in Afghanistan, which is a great explanation of exactly what's going on there, why we haven't been winning and what the problems are in that country. Uh, so I'd like to, I'd like to recommend uh, Scott Horton. Uh, I'd also like to recommend Tom Woods. Uh, he's a more generic like libertarian type, but he also touches on that sort of thing. 
Um, and those two guys I found very helpful. Uh, you can look to Reason Magazine uh, online, Reason, as in like, you know, Reason, like logical thinking, Reason Magazine, uh, and the Mises Institute as well, the Mises, M-I-S-E-S Institute, uh, which also puts out good articles on this type of thing. Um, I don't know if, if you have anything you want to plug, Ben, but I would just say, just stay informed, right? The mainstream media, they're, they're going to say whatever, you know, if, you, if you're a Republican, you think that, you know, the media is all left-wing, that they're all fake news. I mean, why, why listen to them when they tell you all this stuff about why we need to go to war? If you're a left-winger and you hate the military-industrial complex and, and the neocons, why listen to them when they tell you we need to go to war? Think for yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. Try to, you know, get sources uh, – try to get sources that aren't going to be just spitting out whatever the standard CIA or government line is and then, you know, come to your own conclusions. You got anything, Ben? Uh, I would just say think individually. All right. And uh, on that really positive note, um, (laughs) uh, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Road Not Taken podcast, our first one of the year 2020 and maybe the decade. Uh, I I like to think that, you know, 2020 starts, the the decade starts with 2020. You wouldn't say that the year 2000 was still part of the 1990s. Yeah, absolutely Um, not. Yeah. So 2020, new decade. Uh, so we and talked all about that. If you're born in the year 2000 and you consider yourself a 90s kid, I really don't know what to say. No, that's shameful. Book, yeah, that's yourself. shameful. I mean, I was born in 98 and I'm not even sure I can call myself a 90s kid because, you know, that a lot of 90s kids think that you have to be born in 97 or earlier to be a 90s kid. I, I, I would dispute that, but we'll see. Yeah, um, but, but our next podcast, uh, not sure when it'll be coming out. Uh, but it should be soon. We're going to talk about the top events of the uh, t- the decade that it was the 2010s. Uh, spoiler alert: Number one is going to be Adele releasing albums. Um, <clears throat> no, uh, that that's in my top 20 favorite things. I'm not sure it's the most uh, top 20 most important things. Also, uh, so Jay Z left Spotify and came back. That's probably number that two. is huge. That is huge. Kanye West, Christian? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? Um, <laughs> Anyway, I got church on Sunday, so no, okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, so we'll we'll definitely talk about the uh, our, the top events of the last decade, recap them for you. They won't all be terrible. There will be some fun things in there, um, and then we'll also uh, give our Rise of Skywalker thoughts because I, I know that we taught we'd had a Star Wars podcast, uh, but we've both seen Rise of Skywalker now, and I have some major major thoughts on that movie. So, uh, so tune in next week, uh, Ben. Anything you want to say to our listeners before we uh, before we sign off? No, I just hope everyone has a great 2020. All right. And on that note, this has been the Road Not Taken podcast, and thank you for listening. If you have comments, questions, or future topics that you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, you can contact us at theroadnottakenpodcast at gmail.com. It's spelled uh, the exact same <clears throat> the exact same way. Uh, it's just theroadnottakenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks.